If you can uh, turn with me as we continue in the book of Joshua through the first chapter, and we'll start in verse 10. Two weeks ago, we started in uh, that first section. We looked at those first nine verses, and now we start in verse 10. Then Joshua commanded the officers of the people, saying, Pass through the host, or the people, and command the people, saying, Prepare your victuals. For within three days he shall pass over this Jordan, to go in and to possess the land, which the Lord your God hath given you to possess it. And to the Reubenites and the Gatites and the half-tribe of Manasseh spake Joshua, saying, Remember the word which Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, saying, the Lord, your God, hath given you rest and has given you this land. Your wives, your little ones, your cattle shall remain in the land which Moses gave you on this side of Jordan. But ye shall pass before your brethren armed, all the mighty men of valor, and help them. Until the Lord has given you your brethren rest, as he hath given you. And they also possess the land which the Lord your God giveth them. Then shall ye return unto the land of your possession, and enjoy it, which Moses, the Lord's servant, gave you on this side of Jordan, towards the sun rising. And he answered Joshua, saying, All that thou commandest us we will do, and whatsoever thou sendest us we will go. According as we hearkened unto Moses in all things, so will we hearken unto thee. Only the Lord thy God be with thee, as he was with Moses. Moreover, he be... He be that doth rebel against the, thy commandment, and will not hearken unto thy words. In all that thou commandest him, he shall be put to death. Not only be strong, and be of good courage. Let us pray before you commence. Heavenly Father, again, we open your word. We pray that you would speak to us from a history, history that happened so long ago. Lord, would you encourage us, and would you give us your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. So the last time when we started this book uh, that, uh, of Joshua, we kind of looked into the activities and the life of Joshua before he came um, on the scene here in this book that is named after him. We saw his faith, and we saw when many didn't have any, he had strong faith. We saw his loyalty and trust to God and to Moses, whom he assisted, whom he worked for. And we noted also that he was close to all the great historic events that had happened uh, ever since leaving Egypt. The plagues, and the Passover, the golden calf, the parting of the sea, the, the giving of the law. He also was there very close with Moses on top of that mountain and probably saw some of that brightness and that glory. Just to name a few. Now, Joshua here is not an, a young man. He's an older man. He's probably uh, close to 80 years old. Uh, when he succeeds Moses here, back in Deuteronomy 31, you find that account. And we saw earlier that at the crucial part in his life, he got all these encouragements and promises from the Lord. Um, you may recall when Moses was called, he was sort of... Uh, kind of reluctant, you know, saying, oh, who am I that I can do this type of things and, and the people will not listen to me. And even after the burning of the bush, he still was a little bit timid. 
or reluctant to go out. Um, we, we don't see that so much in, in, uh, in Joshua. No doubt the task before him was very big. There would have been reluctance. Uh, I think all of us would be reluctant seeing the, the fickleness of the people that he worked with and his own inherent weakness. So in verses 1 to 9, three times he gets that encouragement and that command to be strong and courageous. And uh, so the Lord gives him that, that strength. It also indicated that he will prosper and that no man would stand against him. The land was already theirs. And we saw that he was reminded to look at the law of God. He had the law of God now in his possession. Moses uh, did not have that at the beginning, of course. The people did not have that. Moses was often directly speaking with God, but that would uh, fade away in Joshua's time. So let us look at today's text. Look at verses 10 and 11. He doesn't waste any time in starting the work and to obey as he had been instructed. There was no public inquiries or no meetings to see whether it was the right time or not or whether the people had an appetite of, of invading another country and killing everybody that lived there. There was no show of hands or opinion polls uh, to, uh, to see what the people felt like. He did not pray about it and see what would happen. He was going to obey. He also did not ask for any additional signs, as we see some of the other saints do in the Old Testament, or casually sort of taking his time to obey. Also, not a word about, well, how are we going to do this? The Jordan's banks will be overflowing this time of year. We can read that later in the account. He's not concerned about that. At least he doesn't bring it up. But he believed in God without questioning. And we see that attitude here, that he wants to do what God had commanded him. Luther once said, I do not know the way he leads me, but I do know well the guide. What have I to fear? He had a command from God, and he was going to do it. He had set in his heart on obey obeying the word of God. Of course, he did not have the Psalm uh, 119 like we have, but he certainly acts like he did. Psalm 119, verse 10, With my whole heart have I sought thee. O let me not wander from thy commandments. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. Blessed art thou, O Lord, teach me thy statutes. I will delight myself in thy statutes. I will not forget thy word. And verse 59 and 60, I, I thought on my ways and turned my feet unto thy testimonies. I made haste and delayed not keeping thy commandments. And he certainly did not delay here, especially when the command uh, was so clear and, and he had so many encouragements that were given to him to keep it. And how easy can you and hide behind maybe some clear commandments and sort of pretend is is not all that clear or ambiguous, open for debate, or an excuse not to obey his word or to delay it. Well, and Joshua, had, of course, had a good reason to obey the word quickly. 
40 years ago, they were only a few weeks away from entering into the land, a few weeks. And the spies came back, and most of the people <coughs> believed the unbelieving, doubtful, fearful accounts of the ten. And almost all, except two, of the people who were at 20 years of age died. Imagine, for 40 years he would wander with these people in the desert, and he saw them all die and not entering into the land. That's a, that's a long time to have impressed upon you the importance of obedience, importance of, of obeying God and obeying him quickly. Unbelief is always costly. Obviously, in the non-Christian, as he has no, his sin is undealt with, but also for the Christian. Disobedience and unbelief can cause us misery and, and sometimes many years of misery and grief. How we ought to hide the word in our hearts to be better equipped to counter the wiles of, of Satan, the world, and above all, our own inclinations. Colossians 3:16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns, spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts unto the Lord. That's what we do this morning too, right? You notice the the songs are much about obedience and promises and following the Lord. So he commands the officers of the people. Moses had set up that system. And there was a lot of people here, probably about a million, and uh, that would judge among the people. And uh, he said, get ready and prepare food, venison, meat. Perhaps they had to do some hunting for it. Uh, food other than manna. Manna was still falling at this time. It's interesting that... You know, miraculously, the manna would come day after day, and, and yet there was still unbelief in the people. But um, <clears throat> that would soon cease, and slowly, something that slowly the manna would become less, and people had to fetch their own food, and especially once they're in the land. So everyone gets involved. It's a practical instruction. Trusting in God does not mean sitting. And waiting it out, hope for the best, or, or being lazy, there was work to be done. You notice also in verse 11 that he says, we shall pass over the Jordan and go into the land. There was a certainty with it. And he had that full assurance. Well, why did he have that? Well, because God had told him so. So when you and I speak to one another in our family, in our church, other believers or Unbelievers, let it be done with the greatest assurance and steadfastness and joy in God's word. One writer says, let the word of God be in the driver's seat at all times. Some Christians, and I think I mentioned it last time, live with such fear and unbelief and, and joylessness concerning the future. We honor God greatly when we speak everything that happens in this life in relation to his word, his promises, the future, the future victory, the ultimate end. Whether it's issues in our immediate family or health, um, jobs, other things, or the, the looming uh, government uh, evils and society that presses things upon us, do we look at it through the biblical lenses? We have a God who reigns. He said, your hair is numbered. Any bird that falls to the ground doesn't do it so without his knowledge and without his, his will. 
Sometimes we can speak as though there is no God. And we have all promises given to us so that we don't have to be afraid. And his eyes are especially on his people, his covenant people. No one can shorten our days. And he that control, only he that controls all things. David in Psalm 137 asks a question, whether shall I go from thy spirit or whether shall I free, flee from thy presence? Well, the answer is none. God is everywhere with him. And he continues in that psalm on how the Lord made him. And how all the, the members of his body are written down before time. And he says, Thine eyes did see my substance. Yet being unperfect in thy book, all my members were written, which in continuance were fashioned, when as yet there was none of them. How precious are thy thoughts unto me, O God! How great is the sum of them! If I should count them, they are more in number than the sand. When I, am awake, when I awake, I am still with thee. So Joshua obeys with haste to command. He does not wait for a better time, as we are prone to do. Delays in obeying always indicates there's something wrong with our heart. Perhaps there's sin, perhaps there's an idol that sits there, that reigns there, when we delay in obeying. My father-in-law used to say to his kids, the delayed obedience is disobedience. Well, it's true, isn't it? So it's a good way to ask ourselves that question often. Next, as a good leader, he addresses the unity of the people from verses 12 to 18, especially, especially addresses the tribes of Gat, of Reuben, and the half-tribes of Manasseh. So we need to go back in history a little bit to see what happened. Uh, you can go back with me to Numbers 32. I won't read the whole chapter, but you can have it open and glance at it as I go through some of the verses for <clears throat> a bit of background. Numbers 32. So these two and a half tribes had a great amount of cattle. And uh, a little bit back, when the whole Israel had conquered certain sections of land east of the Jordan, they noticed how good the land was, how nice the pasture was, and the people had been defeated, so they figured, well, that's a good place to stay. So the leaders of these tribes came to Moses and Eliezer and some of the other princes of the nation, and they requested that I may, they may stay here instead of crossing the Jordan with the rest of the nation. Verse 4, even the country which the Lord smote before the congregation of Israel is a land for cattle, and thy servants have cattle. Wherefore said they, If we have found grace in thy sight, let this land be given unto thy servants for possession, and bring us not over Jordan. Well, seems kind of reasonable, right? It's a good spot, it's a good peace, the inhabitants are gone, uh, we've got a lot of cattle here, it's maybe a hassle dragging them over to Jordan, let's just stay here. Well, the next nine verses give you uh, the tongue lashing that these people get from Moses, and they get a, a good verbal spanking, as it were. In verse 6, he basically says, so you guys will go nicely over to Jordan, you're, or uh, we go over to Jordan, you're staying here nicely with your sheep in the pasture while we are fighting the Canaanites. First, it kind of looks like it's a bit of a coward an act of cowardness <clears throat> mixed with covetousness. 
in verse 7, he alludes to the fact that you're kind of setting a bad example to the rest of Israel in not going to possess the land and to conquer it with the land which is promised to them by uh, since the time of Abraham. And then he goes on in verse 8, and he reminds them of what happened with the, when the 12 tribes went out and their report of unbelief triggered 40 years of wandering in the desert, and none of those people made it. I think Moses is kind of saying, well, are you going to do this to this generation too? Are we going to trigger another uh, judgment from God? What are you thinking? And you can see the frustration and his righteous uh, anger. Now, the text doesn't give us the exact motive other than they like the land, but whether they have a, a motive of laziness or they didn't want to help the others. But they made a promise to Moses, and it starts in verse 18, that they would help fight in the war effort. Verse 18, we will not return unto our houses until the children of Israel have inherited every man his inheritance. So they would leave their, their children and wives behind and promise to fight as one united body. With that, Moses was appeased, and he gave his blessing to them. And... Uh, but if they did not, he gave them a stern warning. Verse 23. But if you will not do so, behold, ye have sinned against the Lord. Be sure your sin shall find you out. With this warning laid on their conscience, he gives them desired wishes. So with this in mind, Joshua goes to them here in this chapter. And notice how he appeals quite often to Moses, verse 13. Remember the word which Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, saying, The Lord your God has given you rest, has given you this land. Your wives, your little ones, your cattle shall remain in the land which Moses gave you on this side of Jordan. But ye shall <clears throat> pass before your brethren, armed, all the mighty men of valor, and help them, until the Lord hath given your brethren rest, as he hath given you they also have possessed the land which the Lord your God giveth them. Then ye shall return unto the land for your possession and enjoy it, which Moses, the Lord's servant, gave you on this side of Jordan towards the sun rising. Well, what, what will the people do? This is the new general, it's the new captain. Will they rebel against him? Will they say with... with, with uh, Cain, am I my brother's keeper? Or will they say what they did with Moses? Their forefathers did with Moses when he came down from the mountain and said, well, we don't know what has become of Moses. We don't know where he went. Or will they say, well, Joshua, we knew, we knew Moses, but, but who are you? Would they change their minds? And how easy it is for us, too, to change our mind, isn't it? Paul then butter and writes on this chapter he says if it suits us we promise something but when it comes down to the crunch of doing what we said we can be prone to change our minds but Joshua knows as they embark on this new venture they need a unified body they need, they need a unified nation one that fights his enemies together and he saw it would be dangerous if they started this venture as a broken, disunified group before they came into the land. And even in addressing this issue, we get a bit of a glimpse of, of Joshua. 
right? It's kind of a, a touchy issue. Nevertheless, as a faithful shepherd, he addresses this issue right from the start, and he does not avoid uncomfortable conversations. He is doing what Timothy got charged with by the Apostle Paul. Preach the word, be in, instant in season and out of season, rebuke, exhort, reprove with all long-suffering and doctrine. <clears throat> a greater reminder for elders and for all members of the, the body of Christ today to keep the unity of believers. Now, sadly, the church has its share of disunity and fights, and it has brought much confusion to the outside world, isn't it? If sometimes witness to somebody, remember going door to door, and people say, well, which church? And there's so many churches, it causes great confusion. And they, they kind of mock the idea of, of, uh, of the church. And it's brought great disservice to the name of Christ. Yet, it might be necessary to split. Think of the truths that we cannot compromise on. Think of the great reformation when the church became so clouded that it wasn't the church anymore. The gospel was hidden and many other things. And then there is time for splitting and to restarting. In our LBC, we have a chapter on uh, the communion of saints and the church. <clears throat> 2614 says, every church and all its members are obligated to pray continually for the good and the prosperity of all churches of Christ in every place. So not just our little group, but all the churches worldwide. They must also, at every opportunity, within the limits of their stations and calling, exercise their gifts and graces to benefit every church. Also, when churches are raised up by the providence of God, insofar as they enjoy opportunity and favorable circumstances for it, they should have fellowship among themselves for their peace, growth in love, and mutual affection. Paul writes in similar fashion in Philippians 2, verse 2, about unity of believers. Fulfill you my joy, he says, that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind. Esteem each other, each esteem others better than themselves. Romans 12, verse 10, be kindly affectionate to one another, with brotherly love, in honor, preferring one another. Not slothful in business, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. <clears throat> Ralph Davis noticed on this section, one can detect implications here for the doctrine and practice of the church, unity among the people of God. And that is no idle luxury. It doesn't mean that we always have to feel sticky and gooey about each other, but it does mean that we must be careful enough that we don't want to, any of God's children to be discouraged. And this takes wisdom, takes the fruit of the Spirit to keep that bond of unity. Ephesians 4.3, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. For there's one body and one Spirit, even as ye are called in one hope of your calling. Our lives are, are not our own. They belong to him who loves us and who gave himself for us. And in turn, we show that to the rest, the members of the body, his church. A good question to ask yourself, 
How can I be a blessing to the church for the glory of God? Maybe you're one of those that is kind of a spectator in the church. You come, look from a distance, get out, come back once in a while. It's like a smorgasbord. Kind of come and go, pick something you like, load up what you like, but you're not really bringing your gifts and your abilities that God has given you to the table. Back to verse 15. Notice that little word. He said then Israel could enjoy the land. God, God is the author of all gifts in his timing and good providence. He gives us plenty. He's rich in his gifts that he gives us. Look at all of us here. Think of all the, the mercy, the gifts materially, financially, health-wise that he has given us and that are good for us. But Joshua says, let all those gifts not make us lazy, careless, indifferent about those that, in this case, still have to fight the Canaanites. Joshua said, you help your brothers first before you return into your own piece of real estate. Their battle is your battle. Or in the New Testament language, if one part of the body suffers, then all suffer. Philippians 2.4, let not every man look on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Well, the results of Joshua's reminder and the answer he gave them is very encouraging for him, isn't it? And for all the tribes and for the nation as a whole and their spiritual health. In verse 16, he gives, they give them the promise that as they had listened to Moses, so would they listen to him and if he would send them somewhere then they would go you command us and we will do it and they saw of course that Joshua had been a servant of God all his life and they had long heard and seen it as an example in front of them right up from his youth the words in verse 17 only the Lord be with thee as he was with Moses, is a prayer. It's, it's a blessing. It's a wish from the people. They do not mean to suggest that, well, as long as you obey God, then we'll do so, because they have seen a good example in him. They do not doubt him. But it's a, it's a prayer for him, that as he sets out his task as a new leader, they, they pray this for him. They wish that same nearness as Moses had had with God. They even say, if people will disobey and will go against you, then uh, traitors must be dealt with. They must die. So they're very uh, zealous. And that's quite a change if you think about the, the people that, that Moses had to dealt with all his life. They would rebel. They would, um, they would fight against him. They questioned his leadership. They wanted somebody else at times. Uh, it's quite refreshing to see... Um, this change in the heart of these people. And the people are with him and they undeservedly are eager to stand with the Lord together. And it kind of fulfills the promise that we looked at two weeks ago in verse 5 of Joshua. There shall not any man be able to stand before thee in all the days of thy life. As I was with Moses, so I shall be with thee. I will not fail thee nor forsake thee. <coughs> 
So here, there's no one even within Israel now coming against him, questioning his leadership. They are there with him. And of course, God had worked that in the hearts and lives of these tribes and of the nation in, um, in, in Israel here. At the closing verse, the people even quoted him what the Lord had told them three times earlier in the chapter. Be strong and be of good courage. And how encouraging that would have been for Joshua. Now to hear that from the people. He had heard it from God, but now he heard it out of the mouth of the people. Maybe you have seen people that had a hatred against the God of the Bible, and all of a sudden they are converted and they speak biblical truths to you. They speak the word of God to you. And how great encouragement that is for believers as we see God changing people but, um, the, and, and the miraculous hand of God. Here we see also a picture of Christ. The believers will receive him. They will believe him. They will trust him and they will obey him. If you love me, you keep my commandments. Christ has been appointed as the one and only mediator that can lead us into the heavenly Canaan. He delivers his people from their sins. And they are those things, the very things that keeps us out of the heavenly Canaan, unless by faith we look upon Christ and find in him our yes and amen of all the promises in Scripture. <clears throat> When Peter in Acts 3 preaches to the Jews, here are the same people that would have, some of them anyway, would have called out, crucify him, crucify him. He preaches to them about Moses and what he said about him that was to come. Acts 3, 22 and 23. For Moses truly said unto the fathers, a prophet shall the Lord your God raise up unto you of your brethren like unto me. Him shall ye hear in all things whatsoever ye shall say, whatsoever he shall say unto you. And it shall come to pass that every soul which will not hear that prophet shall be destroyed from among the people. And then he ends with this, verse 26. Unto you, first God, having raised up his son Jesus, sent him to bless you in turning away every one of you from his iniquities. Notice the last way he's turning everyone away from his iniquities. It's, that's also the work of Christ. We cannot do that on our own. It is Christ that does that. Timothy 2.14 Who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people zealous of good works. The tribes of Israel were fully behind Joshua, eager to obey and whatsoever he said they would do. Colossians 3 verse 23. Whatsoever you do, do it heartily. As to the Lord and not unto men. Sometimes with whatever work we do in the church, it's, maybe it's our duty or we think we ought to do it. But he asks us to do it heartily. As to the Lord and not unto men. Is that a picture of you and I this morning? Are we eager to follow the Lamb wheresoever He goes? He is the captain. He is our captain, the captain of our salvation. If we are saved, we will eventually enjoy 
that promised land to the fullest and be with Christ. In the meantime, there's things to be done in the church, in his body, in this world. If we live close to him and his word, we will prosper. If we live at a distance from him, we will not have the blessing on our lives. May the Lord bless his word to our hearts this morning. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before thee this morning. Father, we know that all of us have been given great amount of blessing. Father, we have seasons of rest. We have seasons of uh, harvest, plentiful, Lord. And uh, Lord, it's easy to get attached to this world and to work for this world. And while there's others, perhaps brethren, sisters that are suffering, Lord, and we don't see their need. Father, help us to uh, use our gifts that you have given us for your kingdom. Help us to be so minded, Lord, that indeed whatever we do, we do it for you, first of all. Uh, we don't look to others to be approved. Father, we pray that you would make us aware of our gifts, Lord, that you have given us, that we could use them for your great glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.